0: Listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they're not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today I'm very excited to
1: welcome Marla Press to our interview. Welcome, Marla. Thank you so much, Kathy. I'm so grateful to be here. I love what you do because they say there's so many more people now than ever transitioning, reevaluating their life, reevaluating their careers. So this is so great that you are helping so many listeners with this.
0: You know, you're right. This is probably great timing for that, isn't it? There's so much kind of crazy and chaos. And yet also, I think people centering themselves on, well, wait a minute with the craziness. What do I really want out of my career and my life? Exactly. Well, listeners, you're going to be in for a treat today because Marla is a transformational life coach. And so she's going to touch on so many elements and aspects of career and how we show up in life and present ourselves. So I'm I'm very excited to get to that. Before we jump into today's interview, Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Life Story Curator, a testimonial from one of their very happy clients.
2: Oh my gosh, if you're considering hiring Kathy Lawless to do a book for you, you need to do it. My name is Anne DuPont and I'm chair emeritus of a nonprofit that's been based in Denver called The Leadership Investment. And after 20 plus years of being in business, we decided we had to celebrate and commemorate all of the great work we had done and the impact we'd had in the Denver community. So we hired Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator to help us do exactly that. And I've gotta tell you, the result has been simply outstanding. And we went into it with a little bit of fear, thinking, is this gonna be too much work? Can we really take this on? And Kathy just made it absolutely painless. She was fun, she was creative, she broke the work into bite-sized pieces that we could really take hold of and get done. And she just made it a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughter along the way. And the feedback from the members of our organization, from the staff, the community, the volunteers, has simply been outstanding. It has really done quite a remarkable job of capturing the essence of everything we achieved over 20 years. So if you're thinking about doing something like this for your organization, for your career, for your family, I would highly recommend it and i would absolutely say that kathy lawless and life story curator is the person for you
0: marla if you would tell us where you grew up what part of the country or i guess what part of the world and um and what your family dynamic was like you know where you are in the birth order how many siblings and how you think kind of that geographic Location as well as your birth order shaped you as an adult. I know that's a lot of questions there, but I feel like there's you can talk about it in
1: one in one story, so to speak. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. So I grew up in the capital of Pennsylvania, which most people think of as Philadelphia, but it's Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, most famous for Three Mile Island. But um, I didn't live there then. But it's a beautiful place. This fall makes me think of how beautiful the colors were and there's a Susquehanna River going through it. So it was a beautiful place. And I lived on the outskirts of town. So it helped me to appreciate nature because I live near woods and what they called mountains, here in Colorado, we'd call them hills. (laughs) So I love climbing to the top of these hills and just looking out and seeing the world from that perspective. And the other thing that really shaped me about living in near Harrisburg is it was only three three and a half hours from New York City. and my family took me there several times and I was in awe. Just love the big city and uh, the smells and the you know roasted chestnuts, seriously on the street, the street food, the tall buildings. and my favorite part was Broadway shows. So I became very interested in theater and did do a lot of theater growing up and just loved it. It was so exciting. Yeah,
0: you know, it's interesting. You mentioned New York City. As a young person, I knew there was a New York City, but I never really understood the magnitude of it. I grew up in rural Colorado, Elizabeth, Colorado. And then uh, it wasn't until I went that I really got the magnitude. I can't imagine as a young child or, you know, youngster, going there at that age, it would have such an impact, right? That you get to see it and just the size of it and the scale. And like you said, the memories of the fragrances and the different times there, it would be
1: quite impactful uh, from that perspective. hmm. And both my parents were very into theater. So there was just this appreciation that was given to me as a gift and musical theater in particular and just love the excitement of that. And my parents got divorced when I was three, so I was pretty young, and then my mom remarried when I was five, so I grew up with one sister, and then when my mom remarried, I automatically got another stepsister and two stepbrothers who were a lot older than me, and then my dad remarried when I was nine and had two kids, so I have two half-brothers that are 10, 11, and 13 years younger than me. So it's all over the board, and that probably helped me to just be really adaptive and interested in family dynamics, and I was, my other love besides theater and dance was psychology.
0: Oh, that would make sense when you look at the dynamic of, you know, parents splitting, then they have new relationships, you have all these new people in your lives, and then, yeah, how do you deal with all these people, right, and how do you, how do you find your way Wow. Interesting. You know, I've had others that talk about that blended family and how maybe they went from oldest to youngest because of the blended or oldest to middle. And, you know, it really changes the dynamic of who they are, as well as then maybe the whole transfer of time with one family, time with the other, you know, moving about. Yes. I mean, that there's a lot of uh, adapting, I guess, that would have to go with that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So what, uh, besides going to New York City and 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 probably musicals, what other things did you do as a young person? Did you then start like singing, dancing, or did was it sports?
1: Definitely not sports. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to say there wasn't a lot of sports going on, but I love dancing. So at the age of nine, my mom would send us to, the, to camp, but it, there was a huge emphasis on theater and dance in that camp. And I started going when I was nine years old and got into folk dancing which I loved. And we would perform, it was a pretty large camp, and we'd perform in front of everyone out in the open in this theater in the round, which was so cool. I loved folk dancing, and then I also got involved with their, their musical plays.
0: So your the DNA from your parents kind of came out in
1: you. <laughs> they not only took you to those uh, Broadway shows, but then you're like, oh, this is what I want to do. I loved it, yes. For a while there, I thought I wanted to be a choreographer, but that was short-lived. But I also, I did a lot of my own choreography and I entered competitions and always won in the competition. So I thought, oh, this is really cool. I, I just love creativity in general. It's so exciting to create yeah. anything. <laughs> yes, love the arts, but I also love creative problem solving and creative writing anything creative it's creative well and it's great you know I think as a young person when you have success in something that you're trying
0: um, that just breeds more success right and then you maybe want to practice more or experiment more or do more of it right and so because you were probably winning that gave you a lot of confidence as well as then probably the adult accolades and all of those other things you know giving you the
1: confidence to keep trying and, and doing and
0: putting yourself out there wow very cool
1: yes and what I realized too at a young age was that I was kind of different from average. My choreography wasn't like the Broadway show choreography. It was all this psychological, weird, dark stuff that I put into it, or I put magic into what I was doing. It was very unusual. So um, yeah, I was already combining that psychology with the creativity.
0: Yeah, so not afraid, but it also sounds like not afraid to put yourself out there and be different, right? I would would think in in that kind of dance, there's a certain uh, routine that they expect, and then you were doing the unexpected. Yes. Yes. Oh, very cool. OK, well, we're going to shift gears a little bit here. Um, would you say you're an introvert or an
1: extrovert or an ambivert? Yeah, so ambivert, supposedly they're pretty rare. And I might be an ambivert. I test as an introvert. I don't test in the middle. Definitely growing up, I was very introspective, very quiet actually. And, but I have changed into a very, I, I, I also love that New York City energy as I was talking about it. I love being in a big group going to a concert or any, even a party where people are really having fun I love that energy. So I need both. I need that alone time. I I, I have to have my downtime, but I also love people energy. So uh, maybe, maybe I'm an ambivert.
0: <laughs> well, I do put myself in that category because I, I do test in the middle of most things. I'm a middle child. And so I'm finding that so much of what I do is in the middle, but yeah, I used to, when I was in corporate, I was on the, uh, uh, I, I think I was more on the introverted side because I had so much access to people, I was almost uh, overloaded right, with all the meetings and when you're in leadership roles and things like that, your time is not your own. But now that I'm this solopreneur, I'm I'm drawn to, I need people, I need to get out, I need to go to that networking <laughs> event. <laughs> so yeah, it can be on on uh, both sides of the fence. Uh, okay, so on the uh, kind of down the similar path, um, on the fun meter, on a scale of one to five, one being a couch potato and five being the life of the party,
1: where would you put yourself? That one is is hard to say because I I don't know that I would call myself the life of the party and I don't have a need or desire to be the center of attention but I'm high on that fun meter. I got to have fun. And if a party, the energy or even a conversation is kind of going a little bit down in energy, boom, I want to pop it up and change the topic or start people dancing or, or do something to liven it up. Yeah, I, So maybe I'm a four or I'm not sure. I like that. So you would be the
0: livener up of the party, not necessarily the life of the party. But you know, it is kind of, I I guess I did make up that definition, right, as life of the party to define five. Um, But yeah, it does kind of go toward, uh, are you the center of attention? And some people do do want that, and others are like, no, I just want to be at the party, and it just needs to be a fun party. So, right. Okay, uh, same scale, one to five, but this time on the risk meter. One being low risk taker, five being a high
1: risk taker. Where do you put yourself? This is so interesting because with physical risk, risk, I'm a one, maybe two. I don't like to fall. I don't like to risk hurting myself. I'm not, you know, I didn't do sports. I did a lot of dance, but I didn't do any sports. So it's pretty low. But in a psychological guts kind of a way, I'm a five. And um, I, I'd like to give you a couple examples if that's okay. Because, yeah. Um, there's so many, and I think they're really interesting. And I hope that this people can see that that the beauty of being a risk taker. Um, so I, I'd say the first thing I did was I graduated high school a year early and went to college. So all my friends are in high school. I didn't know anybody, but I couldn't wait to go study psychology and philosophy. So, I went to college early. And um, between my junior year and senior year of college, I went to Europe and went to school in London for a couple of months. I studied cross cultural abnormal child psychology. (laughs) So, that was wow,
0: that's really heavy for (laughs) a 17 year
1: old. But but the, the adventurous part was not just going to school in London, not knowing anyone, but I traveled around Europe completely by myself for two and a half, three weeks after that. And I never once stayed in a hotel, had very little money to spend. And I slept on a train every night and went to a different country every day. So that looking back, I'd say that was pretty risky. And then I also, when I got to Spain, because I spoke Spanish fairly well at the time, I stayed there for a full week and I slept on the beach with just my big backpack, no tent, no nothing, just slept on the beach every night. And I think that was that was pretty risky. Uh,
0: Absolutely, I'm, I'm gonna
1: bump your rating from a five to a 10 on the five point <laughs> kit. Oh, so wait, wait. I can, but I'm gonna up that. So then my first oh, job out of college, which nobody would ever think I would ever do this. My first job out of college, I got a degree in psychology. And I went to see you and said, you know, what jobs are available for someone in psychology? Because there weren't many. And they said, well, there's a federal prison that's looking for someone to help the prison psychologist. And I said, okay, that sounds really interesting. Went and applied for the job. They offered me the job. And then they said, by the way, it's not gonna be helping the psychologist. We need a correctional officer. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, sure. Well, this is an all-male adult federal prison and it was very risky. I won't go into the details of what I did, but wow, looking back, I probably wouldn't even do it now. Very, very risky. Okay, well, Marla, I've got a couple questions on all of that. That's fascinating.
0: One is, well, it sounds like that's a very, nasty bait and switch they did on you yeah we'll hire you to do what you think you want to do and then when you get here oh by the way the job's not that
1: at all that they knew that if they said what it was in the first place they'd get a lot fewer applicants yeah 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 yeah. yeah. and then the other thing though is
0: how did your parents you know what were they doing at this time that you're you know, such a young person, you know, you're traveling abroad, you're sleeping on beaches and trains. Do they know this? I mean, I'm guessing this is at a time when there wasn't cell phones even. And so how did you even check in with them?
1: I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really check in with them. No, they were. Um, I mean, That is one thing about my family is they they weren't, they not only weren't helicopter parents, but they were maybe the opposite. So they, uh, I wasn't real close to my family at that time. I am very close to them now. And part of that is because I changed it around in my 20s. Oh, but I wasn't
0: real close to them.
1: So uh, yeah, I think they were like, whatever. Okay, there she goes again. She There she goes. She's out there. She's out of the nest. That's Marla, you know, uh, let her go. She's, she knows what she's doing. I, I don't oh. know. But I, I really didn't keep in touch with anybody. I was just on my own, very independent. Well, yeah, I guess if you have that independent strength, too, as a, you know, a parent might be like,
0: well, we've just got to let her go. I mean, she's going to graduate early. How can we say this is a bad thing, right? She's just
1: learning and growing and making her way in the world. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, moved across the country, you know, moved to Colorado from Pennsylvania, didn't know anybody. So, yeah. Yeah, seen a lot of risk indicators there. Okay, well, tell
0: us uh, about what it's like to be a transformational life coach. And you've already hinted a little bit about how you got here, but then we'll get into the real, how did I get here, part of the interview?
1: Yeah, this is so rewarding. I love my work. And I help people, some people truly transform their lives, and other people, it's just a little tweaking. They just, you know, maybe their career is going great, but they just need a little help with their relationships, or maybe it's their personal health. Or other people maybe the relationships are going well but they just aren't fulfilled with their work and so I love helping people because <laughs> I, I'm thinking of Woody Allen I always think of this in one of his movies he would say yeah I'm on my 20th year in my psychotherapy <laughs> you know something <laughs> like that and I just always find that so funny because There's some people that are in therapy for years and really don't change. And what I do with my life coaching is so transformational so quickly that it's just very, very rewarding. I do mostly, I help people see their blind spots. So some people think, oh, you know, I already know what I have to do, or I already know what's going on. But sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And so helping people see their blind spots, I'm very good at noticing patterns and helping people with blind spots. So that's very helpful. And it doesn't take that long because I do experiential exercises. It's not a lot of talking. It's more embodiment, some energy work, but not some woo-woo energy work. It's more practical energy work. And it's so powerful. Wow, boy! I tell you, you just lit up when you were talking about all of that and how you can help people. And, and it is,
0: you know, it is true. If we don't know our blind spots, we just keep repeating the patterns, right? And or if we don't see the patterns, sometimes it takes someone else to see the pattern, or that you attend a program and all of a sudden the pattern hits you right square in the middle of the head, right? And you're like, whoa, that's me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or the next step, you see the pattern, but you don't know how to get out of it. Oh, that's an, yeah, good point. Yeah. So I I help people through all of that. Yeah. Well, and
0: I'm assuming with your psychology degree, maybe as a young person, you kind of thought this is what you would get into. But when you were young and looking at your career aspirations, is this what you were thinking when you said, oh, I'm going to go into psychology? Is
1: this what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yes and no. So I wanted to be so many things. That's part of my thing. Uh, Perhaps a weakness, perhaps not, is that I see so many possibilities. It's hard for me to narrow it down. So yeah, so the choreography didn't last very long, but I wanted to be a writer from a very young age. And I mentioned Woody Allen, um, as much as I don't agree with him as a human being and a person, he was a genius when it came to comedy. And what I loved about his comedy, it was laugh out loud comedy, but it was also, he talked about love and death and religion and relationships and such meaningful topics in such an amusing way that when I was 12, I remember this as if it were yesterday, I saw his first ever movie that came out and I was just walking around on a cloud saying, I'm going to be the next Woody Allen. (laughs) I'm going to write exactly like that, be really funny, really entertaining, but yet really meaningful subjects, because I was a deep person and I like to write. And so that was one thing I thought and I would wake up in the middle of the night writing poetry and writing things I, I was a writer, I got a lot of um, accolades from teachers about my writing and how meaningful and deep it was for my age. So So that was always on the table. And then the psychology piece was interesting, because I'm unusually intuitive. And I had some unique experiences, even as a young person. So when I was 15, I, for some reason, just picked up a tarot deck. I don't even know how that, why I was attracted to it. And I started doing readings for people. And they said, wow, how can you, these, are, these weren't my close friends. These were just acquaintances, people I met. And they said, wow, how could you know that about my life? And that is so meaningful what you're saying. And this is me at 15, and I don't do any of that now, so it's not part of what I do, but it gave me an idea that, oh, I think I have some sort of connection with people that's unusual. Then at, oh, I don't know, 16, 17, I was in a dance company, and I was in dance class, and I had a true out-of-body experience where I'm on the ceiling, looking down on myself, consciously, totally out of my body, just seeing myself. And that kind of gives me creeps almost now, but it certainly did at the time. And I thought, well, that's, I don't know anybody else doing that. And I've had visions of fire before it happened where I didn't just see it in my mind's, excuse me, in my mind's eye, but I actually experienced fire all around me as if it was really happening. And then it went away and then a fire started not too far from where i was so i've had these unusual intuitive experiences and then lastly this one really gives me creeps too before 9 11 for two nights in a row i had really really violent dreams and i'm not one to have violent dreams at all and for two nights there was just lots of people dying and actual murders and that's never since then, not before then did that happen to me, and the two nights before 9-11, and then 9-11 happened, and so I can't explain that, but what it, the message it tells me is that we all have this inner knowing, and some people are more tapped into it than others, but it's there, and how can we tap into that, because it's really powerful, and I use my intuition in a good way to help people. I don't say, I can read your mind right now, Kathy, but um, I (laughs) say, can you read my mind? No, not really, although I might know what you're thinking. Um, But yeah, I try to just really tap into that intuition and it's been very helpful for me. Wow. Wow.
0: Well, and as a young person, to get that knowing or to have those experiences happen and to pay attention to them, not be afraid of them and to kind of step into them maybe it sounds like that's what you were doing is you were you were uh acknowledging them and letting them happen and then maybe seeing where they were going to take you so that's that's kind of fascinating so how did you get the courage to kind of go I mean you mentioned you were just independent to do this you know another country live on the beach or you know I mean do you know where you kind of got that confidence or just was that part of this intuition you think
1: I don't know where I got it from. Um, It's funny because I have a certain confidence for some things. At the same time, I was not confident to live my full potential when I was younger, and I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. I, I, I should have done so much more when I was younger, and I resisted it. I resisted it. I was so, for example, I got my degree in psychology, but it was just a bachelor's degree. And then I went back and I took some graduate level courses, but I never went and got my PhD. And I just didn't have the confidence to do that at the time. And other things, maybe a confidence issue, maybe not, but uh, so I decided to become a dental hygienist thinking, oh, I can do that for a while and that'll be easy. So I applied to dental hygiene school and they actually called me at my home and said, Marla, you not only scored better on the aptitude test than all the dental hygienists, but you scored better on your aptitude test than any of the dental applicants we have. Please apply to our dental school. And I thought, no, I no, I don't think so. I'll just I'll just apply to dental hygiene school. So was that a confidence issue, or I didn't really want to be a dentist? Hard to say, but. I do know that I I could have done a lot more when I was younger and looking back, you know, I know that now, but sometimes when we're younger, we don't have all the confidence to live our full potential. And that's one thing I help people with is, hey, don't wait, (laughs) you know, live your potential now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny. I saw this quote, you just reminded me of this quote of, it it said, um, don't look for your you know, basically it was potential or passion or purpose create it, and I don't think as, as I, I know as a young person I kept looking for what is it is that thing that is my gift versus what do I want to do that is my gift you know what I mean there's a difference right and how do you create it and put yourself out there and step into something versus if you're looking for something or searching for something so I don't yeah. know if that resonates. It sounds like you were an independent spirit and you're like, you know what, this school thing, I'm done with it. What else is there? I'm ready for the next step in my life, right? So you didn't really think about all the scary things that that meant by being on your own and not having a place to live or sleep and
1: <laughs> all of those creature comforts that we take advantage of. So yeah, I wasn't, like I said, adventurous psychologically, just not physically. Yeah. Yeah. Except for being on the train. That sounds like a physical, <laughs> physical risk. So,
0: so your it like, so your first job was the corrections officer. How long there? And I'm guessing you learned a bunch about psychology, but also about safety, your own physical safety, and how to defend yourself. I mean, they had to put you through
1: training. I would think, right? There wasn't enough training. I have to say, <clears throat> I mean, it's um, yeah, it's not the best system. <laughs> Our judicial system is not the best system, and our uh, prison system needs a lot of work. It taught me a lot, absolutely. So I was there for a year, and they considered me an intern, and then after the year, I could have chosen to work permanently, but decided against it. But Well, there- I applaud that you stuck
0: it out for a year. I mean, I don't know that a lot of people that would, right? They'd be like, I'm out of here. This is not what I what I signed up for.
1: Yeah, it it was risky. I mean, there were riots, there were escapes, there were guards that were beaten up. Fortunately, I wasn't. There were uh, some men that, you know, tried to take advantage of me. I, you know, when you're in that situation, you don't have a gun or a weapon because they would use it against you. So I was, I was alone at times with 120 men that were uh, criminals. (laughs) Yeah, they not not your most upstanding citizens. <laughs> yeah, so but but at t- so one of so I did many many jobs in the prison, but one of them that was the most interesting was during the day when they'd go out in the yard for exercise, and I just chit chatted with them, and to hear their stories was really fascinating because how they rationalized some of them rationalized the crime they committed. And you know, they told me about their upbringing and what it was like to live on the streets or what it was like to live in a place where there was so much crime on the street corner. And it was fascinating to hear their stories and where they were coming from psychologically and how they were dealing with their life. So that part was interesting. And it was also interesting to hear how some of the other guards treated the inmates like animals. They didn't treat them well. And so that was eye-opening for me as a 22-year-old to see how, you know, our prison, you know, I wish I would have helped the psychologist more because the psychologist really was there more to work on parole issues and evaluations than to help the inmates and people need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, So, yeah. yeah, So I was disillusioned after that. And that's when I decided I need to do something totally different. And that's when I applied to dental hygiene school. And what, what drew you to that? Did you have a a family member or just? Yes. So my stepfather who I grew up with since I was five was a dentist and my mother was his hygienist and I worked in their office in high school. So I knew the dental field really well and they work six days a week. They were very into their profession, and so I knew a lot about dentistry, so never thought I wanted to be a dental hygienist, but I do love the medical field. I love nutrition. I love health. I love preventative health, which is what dental hygiene is, and I love talking to people and Picking their brains. And so that's been wonderful. And the other thing that's been really wonderful about being a hygienist that I've been very blessed with is being able to work part time. So I know a lot of people, they don't know when to quit their day job. I've been so blessed that I went, most hygienists work four days a week. They don't work five anyway, because physically it's very demanding. But I worked four days for many, many years. And then when my kids were teenagers, I cut back to four days to three days a week. And and then I started writing books and doing a lot more of the things I love, so it's been such a great balance because I you know writing books was solitary right, mm-hmm. and being with patients, and my wonderful coworkers has been just such a blessing.
0: Well, it's kind of back to that ambivert that we were talking about. So you kind of get the, you have a steady income, which gives you a lot of flexibility and freedoms in a lot of other ways, right? And you know yes. you've got that income, and but then also you're with people in that way, doing something that you're very proficient at, and then you can do that whole creative side that uh, that you love and cherish. So, oh, yeah, I get that. So it's one side, you know really gives
1: you a lot of balance on both sides of that, yeah, at the same time, even though I was blessed and yes, I cut back, it wasn't an easy decision for me. i and now I've cut back to two days a week. so oh. Uh yes uh, so I've cut back gradually over time but it hasn't been easy for me to say okay now I'm going to write books or now I'm going to do all this training and become a life coach and so I hope other people I hope that other people can can relate to this that sometimes it's real hard to make change and it takes some real impetus and I'm so grateful that I have made the change because it's been so rewarding to to do what I do but it wasn't a, a quick and easy thing for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, you know, I, I remember when I was in corporate, you know, you reach a point, I'd been there 15 years, and I kept thinking, well, what's next? What do I want to do? And the the beauty I had in the corporation I was in is I actually, every two to three years, pretty much got a different job. You know, it was, sometimes it was a promotion, sometimes it was lateral, sometimes it was a different product. But, it, you know, you can, you know, that that starting over something new is really good for the brain. But you also get to the point where I've been here 15 years, what else? Um, and then you don't leave until maybe there's an event. And in my case, that was, you know, a layoff, which I had, you know, successfully navigated out of that for many years, because there was a lot of layoffs that didn't ever affect me, but then one finally did. But sometimes, like in your case, you had to make a conscious decision. Mine was mine was somewhat conscious because I had a choice uh, to either take a different position or or exit. And I chose the exit because it had been 20 years at that time. So you're right. Sometimes there's that, um, uh, how do you take that leap of faith to start that thing on your own? In your case, you're doing both. Uh, in my case, I'm like, no, I'm ready for something else. So I took the package and I left, and then I'm like trying to find that same thing again and didn't, and then went into consulting and then ended up starting my own business. So it's kind of crazy how paths work. Um, but it's, yeah, how do you make those decisions? That's, and that's what this podcast is about, is how do we dive into that those situations so that other people can learn from what you're doing and go, oh, maybe, maybe if I do want to start my own thing and have that side gig, I don't have to quit my day job. I can keep doing both for a while. Or sometimes I know I need to just quit and take the leap of faith.
1: Yes, and sometimes something has to knock us over the head for us to, <laughs> yes. to make a change. Because for some people, they just stay in something And they're really unhappy. So for you, you were very successful and you were more or less happy in it, but you knew there was something more. For some people, they're really unhappy and yet they stay in it because either they don't know how to make the change or they're not sure of what they want or just change is challenging and they need to be knocked over the head. So uh, for me, it it took a little knocking over the head for for me to make some of these changes. And I did uh, I went to a seminar at one point that was a business seminar. and and then they also were teaching something called the Art of Feminine Presence. And that just spoke to me so much. So that was a little bit of a knock over the head because I thought, "Oh my gosh, I love this work so much. I want to do it." And if it weren't for going to that seminar, maybe I'd still wouldn't be doing some of the things I'm doing now. So I had a little bit of a knock. Oh,
0: okay. I like that. I like how you refer to it as a knock. Uh, <laughs> but I want to go back to what you just said. You know what? It occurred to me, because this happens to me sometimes, I'll be talking with someone or I'll go to a program. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Is that, could that be my thing? You know, and then I, and then I, always, sometimes I feel like I have to talk myself off the ledge because it feels like so many things could be my thing. Do you feel like that happens to you? Or do you feel like, well, but in this case, you know, you went to that one thing, and then the one thing really spoke to you?
1: Yes, as I was saying earlier, I have a lot of interests, and Mm -hmm. narrowing it down is a challenge for me. So yeah, I see a lot of potential. I see a lot of things I could do. So there was the writing, there was writing fiction, writing nonfiction, writing movies, there's, the life coaching, there's this art of feminine presence. I was very interested in uh gender diversity and inclusion for a while and thought, oh, maybe I should help businesses with that, because that I'm very passionate about uh gender issues and um inclusion and, and race and uh, and tolerance. And so yeah, narrowing myself down is definitely a challenge. Okay, yeah, well maybe. I have to tell myself, you know, maybe you can even do it all, but not all at the same time. And so I'm going to pick what feels most relevant right now, which was the life coaching. And then I also teach classes. So I'm not doing a lot of writing right now, but that's okay. I'm going to get back to it because I'm going to live to be over 100. So I got lots of time, lots of time to do all these things. And writing, I, I could do that in my you know 70s and 80s and 90s and so on. My dad's going to be 98 next month, so I just know I'm going to live to be over 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's pretty awesome. And my mom's 92, but 98—that's that's getting up there.
0: So he's very
1: vibrant too. So that's why I think, and he worked into his 80s, so I thought, well, I can do that. So there's time, and sometimes that takes the pressure off because we can get stuck in oh gosh, I don't know what to choose and choose nothing. Or we can say, all right, I'll do this now. And you know, nothing has to be permanent. I think that's an important thought to, to consider is it doesn't have to be permanent, but do something. Don't stay in, in your rut if you're not happy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny. I'm looking at, I've got nieces and nephews of that age of just starting out which is part is part of why I started the podcast, but then I get, you know, talking to other friends and their, their kids just starting out. And I, you know, I think of that notion. I'm like, oh, they just have so many opportunities and they could just try this and try that and try it. And I'm thinking, well, why can't I apply that to myself though? Well, even though I'm in my fifties, I could do the same thing. I could try this, try this, but you're right. I put that, that criteria on a, a well, whatever I try, obviously I need to be really good at. It. And if I put myself out there, then I want it to be the thing. And, you know, I'm, Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I I don't know. I think, I don't know if that's an age thing or maybe even young people do that too, that they talk themselves out of things because it's a, you, you, you're not sure. And then all of a sudden you think, well, I should be sure. And then you're trying to make yourself sure. And I don't know, there's all kinds of mind stories
1: we can tell ourselves, right? (laughs) We tell ourselves so many stories and that really keeps us stuck. But yeah, age is a big factor, but yes, even younger people, they're afraid of making a mistake, or they're afraid of not choosing the right thing, whether it's a relationship or a job, and then they get really stuck. So yeah, just be open to opportunities, and they will come. Yeah,
0: open to opportunities and aware of what's going on. Yeah, I totally get it. Totally get it. Well, Marla, I could keep chatting with you all afternoon. I've got all these questions about your (laughs) coaching, but we probably do need to start wrapping up because i so much fun to keep these interviews about 45 or 50 minutes. So uh, we'll move into the last wrap up questions, which could go long because I always love to hear what you have to say. Um, so, tell us if you would, what you think has served you best? So, when you look back at your career and your life in general, what do you think served your be- you best? Was it a habit, a discipline, a strength, maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a few. So, I have a really good work ethic and really good focus. So, if I choose to do something, I know I'm gonna put 110% of my effort into it. And that has served me really well because the things I've chosen to accomplish, I have. And also I'm, (laughs) some people have given me a hard time saying, you're so Pollyanna, but I see the positive. I focus on the positive and I see opportunities. I see the good in people. And that has really served me well because I think of potential. For myself and for others and it, you know we can get stuck if we think oh i don't you know i don't know if, if, if it can be better i don't see another way and the last thing i'll say is just being creative in problem solving so thinking outside the box and thinking well it doesn't have to be that if i do this that's going to happen maybe i can do this and something else will happen i'm not even thinking of in the moment and be open to that and creative problem solving. So all of those has has really helped a lot. Wow, yeah,
0: those are three great things. I love that you said, when you put your mind to something, so it's kind of like it, when you do narrow and focus, right? Then it's 110% and you can accomplish so much. Um yes. so, yeah, love that. Well, thank you for sharing all three of those. I'll have to make sure I get those captured in your uh, abstract when I write up your little blurb. <laughs> all right well um so then last question when um any words of wisdom that were impactful for you so this could be something that maybe if you were stuck or in transition that someone said to you uh maybe a quote that you found or maybe these are words of wisdom you say to you or you say to others any words of wisdom that come to mind
1: yes there's there's so many and so a couple things one is just. I wish someone would have said to me, think bigger. Because when I was younger, I didn't always think as big as I could have. And that's really important because if you can imagine it, you can create it. And the other thing that has been really helpful that I've heard recently is, I love this, everything is up for grabs. And what that kind of means is, well, you can have anything you want, but if we tell ourselves, or if you hear someone else tell you, you can have anything you want, our critical mind comes in and says, ah, I don't think I can, or I don't know enough, or not right now, or I'm not good enough, all those critical mind things. Mm -hmm. But if we say it, everything's up for grabs. It takes the critical mind out of it because it's a different way of looking at the same thing. And we think we could we can almost picture things juggling up in the air. Oh, there's that kind of relationship I could have, and there's that kind of job I could have, and there's there's better health and there's other ways of doing things and I can choose anything I want. It's all up for grabs right now. And I just love that sentiment. So I I think it's really important that we really, you know, are open and receptive. So there's opportunities out there, left and right, all over the place. But if we're not open and receptive to them, and believe that everything's up for grabs, then it's it's more challenging. Yeah, our,
0: we get so stuck with our self-limiting beliefs, don't we? I totally get it. You know, it's like one of those, you know, I think of a, an idea, something's up for grabs, you get excited, and then you start that. Well, how how would I go about it? And then next thing you know, you're back down to where you were, and no no longer in that mode of thinking big or everything's up for grabs, right? Then you're just kind of back where you were,
1: where you started and where you were stuck again. So, yes. So one of the things I do is help people stay in the desire and get the critical mind out of it. Doesn't matter how you would accomplish something, but if you can hold on to the energetic charge of being in your desire, it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your
0: positivity is contagious. I just love this. I love how you stay in that shift. So I could see if you're working with a client, how, you know, you got to get, you got to shift them out of that place they're in, right. And into that new place, which isn't about the how and, you know, and the what, and the negativity it's about, everything's up for grabs and, and uh, think big. Uh, I love that. Think big. I gotta tell you, that is not something that was in my vocabulary. I'm not, I always kind of, prided myself on. I'm the voice of reason, probably the pragmatist, you know, that I was the one, the operational mindset in the room. Well, how are we going to do this idea, right? Versus just being jumping on the idea and going for it. I was like, how are we? Gonna
1: yes, oh. I can so relate to that because I used to be, I'm very analytical and I used to be very in my head and a huge thing of what I teach people and what I learned so well from the art of feminine presence in particular was how to be in your body more and in your whole self more versus in all the stuff in your head, all the to-do lists and the worries and the, what happens next and what happened before and how that relates to now. And you get so stuck in this mind chatter that it can be stifling. Yeah. Mind chatter. That is, is, um, is so, so valuable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've done a lot of work to, um, to tame the mind chatter to dial it down turn down the volume and to reprogram it right and how do i change the mind chatter to be a positive well first to be neutral then to be positive because <laughs> to go from all the way from negative to positive was its own mind chatter <laughs> didn't yes. seem possible but um yeah so it does take work and it takes i think it takes someone to get you out of that and i've i've done i i, I guess it would be therapy coaching classes books uh you know just a bunch of um different aspects of that and i'm I'm saying all that stuff now just to help listeners on that sometimes it's not just one thing that can get you out of it. Um, Many times it takes more than one thing, but maybe if you have a person, someone like Marla, it can speed up the process and that's what I think we're all looking for right is. Let's get rid of the chatter faster and more permanently and like you do transform transform your life versus just maybe turn it a notch one one degree to the left or whatever so.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because we all need coaches, you know, we need business coaches, we need life coaches, we need, you know, it takes a village, it takes a community so um, to help see your blind spots and just to, you know, give you a different perspective. And so I'm so glad that you said that because yeah, I need coaches, everybody needs coaches. Yeah,
0: (laughs) well you look at, you know, professional athletes all have coaches. Why don't, you know, and then a lot of professional business people I think the trend is more and more coaches recognizing unique coaches, but you also sometimes need downtime like professional athletes do. I mean, it's a, you know, there's a physical element that can't be 100% on all the time, but yet I think in business, we tend to be on that side of the world, right? We just have to be on and it's like, well, wait a minute, maybe we need some downtime here, some time to train and practice and then be on in the game. So. Well, Marla, that has been fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. And and it's been so interesting. And I, I should say, not just sharing your story, but sharing your positivity and your perspective on all this. I think that also brings a different energy
1: to today's interview. So
0: thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you so much for this opportunity to reach more people and to share my message and my story. So, you know, we all have our own story and that's another thing i appreciate that you do is getting people's life stories out there because even though all of our stories are unique we all share certain elements with somebody else and to hear oh yeah that i can relate to maybe you don't relate to the whole story but there's always something that also happened to you and it's so beautiful so thank you for all the work that you do
0: well thank you. i do appreciate that i i found that um when I was coming up in my career, I always had these assumptions I had made about people about how they got to where they were. And then you meet them and you find out, well, they've gone through the similar path as me. Or, you know, you find out we all went through certain challenges and you just don't know that when you look from the outside. So that's part part of why I do this. So thank you for appreciating that. And I think people, as we do um, age and we get more wisdom on things, we recognize that everybody's going through that stuff and everybody's doing the best they can with what they know at the time. So, um, yes. So, how can we continue doing the best that we can? So, well, on that note, uh, Marla will go ahead and wrap up. So, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and you'll be alerted to other interviews as they are published. And I'll also be uh, posting this uh, interview as well as Marla's uh, social media information on my website, lifestorycurator.com. So, if you have any questions for me or for Marla, you can find us on lifestorycurator.com. And then I'll also be pushing it out to Facebook and LinkedIn so folks can find us. So on that note, I guess I'll just say, stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing the stories. Have a great day.